Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. A Hamilton mother of two children on the autism spectrum is worried about future school closures. A new poll shows most Canadians believe they'll get Omicron regardless of the precautions they take. It's Blue Monday, the saddest day of the year. An American professor shares his thoughts on this Martin Luther King Day. You're being urged to donate to local animal shelters in honor of the late Betty White. And Mississauga wants in on Hamilton's Commonwealth Games bit. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. A Hamilton mother of two children on the autism spectrum, while glad that her kids can now go back to school, is worried about potential closures in the future. We got a phone call and an email from Chandra, a Hamilton mom of two and a content creator, and uh, thought it was important to have her on the show to discuss what uh, she and her family are going through. Chandra joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Chandra. How are you today? Hi, good morning. I'm doing well, thank you. How are you doing? I'm okay. It, it is a snow day, so obviously you are impacted. Is is a snow day good or bad news in your household? Well, I mean, it's going to be a fun day, but I definitely can't do any work or anything like I planned. <laughs> <laughs> So what have you and your family experienced over the last couple of years? As we know, um, the Ontario government, as you wrote in your email to us, Ontario is failing the autism community in so many levels. How have you been impacted? Well, there's been a lot of talk. People who are um, more special needs, I guess, is what they say, um, are getting the help one-on-one. But uh, most children who are autistic who can't really benefit from the online education, which mine have not, um, they're not getting the supports that they need. They're they're scrambling and struggling to give a little bit of help, but it really it hasn't been much, if anything. Um, so I have not been able to work any time that they have been off of school. Um, I'm a single mother. Our, my ex, uh, he works full-time, so he hasn't been able to really help in that regard. Um, autism funding as well. Uh, last year I had a little bit, so I was able to get them into some groups, uh, here and there, like three hours to six hours a week. But, um, the funding itself, like the autism, um, Ontario autism program, I should say, um, is really lacking as well. So it's, it's not just in the, in the education, it's really all autism supports across the board. Even when they're in school, EAs have been cut back drastically. Speaking to some EAs recently, because I have some friends who are teachers and EAs, um, they're worried about staffing shortages coming up and schools closing, even just because of the staffing staffing issues. How are the autism-related supports different from what you see in class to what your kids receive when they're learning online? Is it is it night and day? Uh, I mean, just just having interaction first of all makes the biggest difference for them. They're, the the ability to, to focus and, and stay on task and um, environmentally is a huge issue because of sensory difficulties with children on the spectrum. Every one of them is different, but usually if the environment isn't tailored to a specific situation such as learning, they're not going to be able to. So having to go to, say, a library or to a school or a classroom with a desk, etc., is really, really necessary to be able to get anything out of it. Um, not having that space at home, we do not have a very large place, and I've tried my best, obviously, but um, it's, it's not 
conducive for a learning environment at all. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Chandra, a Hamilton mother of two on the autism spectrum, uh, who's happy that school is back, but a little worried about potential closures in the future. And we'll get to that. You have a six-year-old daughter and an eight-year-old son. Um, How has online learning been for them? Oh, well, (laughs) quite frankly, with my daughter, after enough meltdowns, the teacher just said, don't even worry about it. Um, and my, my son, it's been very difficult. Um, the teacher doesn't make him come on to the online portion, but we try just so that there's familiar faces. Um, mostly like the teacher this year was phenomenal. She herself, um, went out of the way to make a physical package, brought it to our home and basically just said, do your best. (laughs) Um, but that's not really fair to them because they're still not they're not actually getting what they need uh, uh things have fallen behind education wise um the socialization is tanked <laughs> obviously and there have been massive regressions on toileting and behavioral issues and, and and tantrums meltdowns and things that like back in preschool we thought we had under control um to now for my daughter in grade one and things that you know, kindergarten, we finally got locked down for my son. Now he's in grade three. And it's it's just, it's not fair to them that they have to deal with so many regressions and falling behind with education because of the situation. Yeah, it is a very tough situation. Are, are you worried about future school shutdowns? I would imagine so, given that I'm guessing they do much better in the physical classroom than, than at home, you know, staring at a screen. Absolutely. I mean, like like I said, my daughter doesn't even go on the screen. Period. I just do my best myself. Um, but yeah, no, I'm I'm very worried about future shutdowns. There needs to be a way. Um, this it doesn't look like COVID's going away at any time soon. There needs to be a way to find keeping kids safe, keeping the teachers safe, but keeping the schools open. The mental health is not good for anyone. The children are the most impacted. But the parents and families are also massively impacted. Uh, No doubt about that. Chandra, really appreciate your time. Thanks for sharing your story uh, with us and with our listeners. Uh, Best of luck throughout this uh, school year, and hopefully it gets much better as the days and weeks uh, come along. Thanks so much for having me. And again, Chandra Hamilton, mother of two, uh, two children on the autism spectrum, who, uh, again, happy that class is back, uh, but still worried that uh, those future closures will impact her two kids. A lot of kid, a lot of parents in that same boat as well, hoping and uh, praying that uh, school will remain as is. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. A new research from the Angus Reid Institute uh, uncovering um, what might be a surprising, maybe not surprising revelation that more than half of people surveyed say that they'll be infected regardless of COVID-19 precautions by the Omicron variant. In fact, two and five would also end all restrictions at this point. Some great stuff to chew on, and we'll do so with Dave Korzynski, Research Director at Angus Reid. Dave, good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, Rick. So the research shows that uh, 55% of Canadians say regardless of any of the precautions that they take, getting double jabbed, getting the booster shot, wearing a mask, physically distanced, that they expect to contract Omicron. This is this is ominous. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a really interesting time in the pandemic. You know, this isn't something where um, with previous waves when we were dealing with Delta, there was much more of a sense of, of personal risk and family risk that people saw with that particular variant. And, you know, that's a, it's, a, it's 
a challenge and, and maybe a, a blessing for people in that they don't feel as stressed about it. They're, they're saying that they're probably going to get it because of the transmissibility, but they're not quite as concerned because of the mild nature of it. The challenge, obviously, in what public health officials have been stressing for uh, weeks now is that it's not enough to just say, okay, I'm going to get it, I'm going to stop following the measures, because uh, the the overwhelming uh, transmissibility is really having a big impact on our public health system, on our hospitals. Um, and, you know, if if everybody just goes about their business and and says that they're they're not worried anymore that that poses real challenges so we are seeing you know 55 percent as you mentioned saying that they they really feel resigned to this they feel that no, no matter what they do they're probably going to get the virus um it's just a matter of uh what they do uh, when they do get it and if they follow the protocols what's really interesting in there too is that uh parents of school-aged children are 10 points higher than the rest of the population in saying that they think they're going to get the virus. So uh, a lot of conversations going on about schools right now, and, and parents are uh, really open to the risk that, that they face uh, just having kids uh, you know, mingling with, with friends and coming home and, and what that really means for them. Yeah, and still in the classroom, and in, in regards to that, more and more parents are saying that their kids have to be in the physical classroom. Yeah, that's something that really stands out in the data. We wanted to get a, a question in there for parents. Um, so these are parents of, of children in K-12 to across the country. Uh, and we asked them, what's the, what's the primary consideration? What do you think should be uh, the, the kind of gover- governing um, operating principle f- for governments? Is it the fact that, you know, we've got to really uh, bunker down and, and stop the spread of COVID-19? Or is the consideration of... Uh, mental health and social development aspects of children being in school is that something that you think is is more important so for 46 percent of parents they say you know there's got to be some way to to balance those they want children in school but they want it to be safe they want protocols in place whether that's masking and rapid tests it's been a big discussion in ontario um and the rest of the country uh really grappling with this as well so 46 percent say they, they think it's a balance but 38% say the primary consideration is having children in school and not dealing with the consequences of them being at home, their mental health, the social development, and all of the other challenges that come with being a parent and, and taking care of your child when they're not in school. Just 16% say that they're worried about, primarily about the spread of COVID-19. Um, and notably, that jumps to about 21% in Ontario, so it's a little bit of a higher concern for parents in the province, um, higher than the average. But still, in Ontario, you've got you know 44% saying we've got to balance these things, and 35% saying uh, keep kids in school because of the mental health and social development aspects there. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Dave Korzynski. He's a research director with Angus Reed Institute. One of the other uh, data elements that you collected is um, how confident people are or how uh, pessimistic, maybe more realistically, they are in terms of the end of the pandemic. What did you find? Yeah, so we asked that, that question of, um, you know, will you get infected? Is it inevitable? And what's really interesting is you've got a, a majority who say that they're going to be infected, but when you turn around and ask them, okay, does that mean that 2022 is going to be the last year of the pandemic because they think everybody is going to get this 
because a lot of public health officials, <clears throat> excuse me, have been saying that everybody is going to get this. Only 23% say that they're confident that this is going to be the last year of the pandemic. Um, I think people uh, are are resigned to kind of living with this, um, and that's why you see on that question of, uh, you know, 40% of Canadians saying that we should. Uh, get rid of restrictions and just start managing this with self-isolation and, and kind of personal risk assessment. Uh, I think that's why people, that number is starting to grow. Uh, it's still the minority opinion, but uh, there there is a sense that people think this is going to last for quite a long time and and they're not sure that uh, restrictions are always going to be the way to deal with it. Dave, thanks for sharing the research with us and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Yeah, you too. Thanks a lot. And again is Dave Korzynski. He is a research director with Angus Reid Institute. One of the uh, key stats in the poll or the survey, 23% of respondents believe 2022, this year, will be the final year of the pandemic. Well, I guess we shall see. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Today is Blue Monday. And with our mental health being challenged on a daily basis, because of the pandemic, new restrictions, if we're back into stage two, how can we boost our mental well-being? Dr. Lee Vanderloo is with Participation, and Margaret Eaton is with the Canadian Mental Health Association, both joining us now. Good morning. How are you today? Good morning. Margaret, we'll start with you. About 15% of Canadians are said to have the winter blues. How does this happen? What's going on? Yeah, uh, the winter blues are not uncommon. And what that is, is the experience of mild symptoms of sadness or unhappiness that we associate with the dark, cold weather. It's not exactly seasonal affective disorder, which only affects about two to 3% of people. And that's when real depression, clinical depression kicks in. But a lot of us find this time of year difficult. And especially with the new variant and uh, kids not being able to go to school. Um, it's been a lot of stress and a lot of pressure, especially for parents. So it's a, it, it can be a sad time of year for many people. Dr. Vanderloo, now that we have the winter blues, it's a snow day, uh, pandemic restrictions are in place. Uh, I would imagine that a lot of people are finding it more and more challenging to keep active during the winter months. What advice do you have for these people? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think with the winter months, it's colder. We have this tendency to want to stay in course with depending on where you're located across the country. Um, current public health measures are also going to play a role in terms of what activities we can do. So in terms of getting active, I mean, I would suggest if you can take the activity outdoors, I think it's great. Uh, we tend to be less active and or less sedentary and more active when we're outdoors. So dress in layers typically as if it's about 15 uh, degrees warmer. Um, you know, as long as you're dressed appropriately with your extremities covered, that's a great way. Um, even if it's only in small bouts, that's still good. There's no such thing as bad movement. Something's better than nothing and more is always better. Um, and if outdoors isn't an option, then definitely, you know, just even staying indoors, whether it's doing your housework with a little bit more vigor, um, if you're at home with the kids, 
um, having a dance party or setting up some sort of indoor obstacle course or scavenger hunt is also a great way um, to sneak in some additional minutes of physical activity. And then also, you know, we would encourage people to be mindful of just how much time they're spending being sedentary. So uh, break up extended periods of sitting where possible, um, stand or pace if you're going to be having a lot of phone calls, Zoom calls during the day for work, anything you can do to just sneak in a couple um, additional steps throughout the day. It's all cumulative. Margaret, is Blue Monday even worse during a pandemic? Well, you know, Blue Monday is was made up by a travel agency to get us to book travel and vacation. But, um, you know, I do think there is something to January being a sad time. And especially because of the pandemic, you know, we have research that shows that 41% of Canadians said their mental health had deteriorated since the onset of the pandemic. But 77% of adults reported feeling negative emotions as a result of COVID-19. And I think now that we're in year three, people are just so tired of it. I know I'm tired of it. And I think that definitely puts a dampening effect on our, our spirits. And that's where doing so important just to try to lift your mood. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. We're talking about Blue Monday today, the saddest day of the year. And joining us is Dr. Lee Vanderloo of Participation and Margaret Eaton of the Canadian Mental Health Association. Dr. Vanderloo, what are the mental health benefits of physical activity, especially during the winter months? Yeah, absolutely. They're quite extensive. So first, we can look at it from, you know, brain health perspective that if we're moving particularly at higher intensities, we're going to see a release of some of those feel good hormones. So endorphins, serotonin or dopamine, we're also going to see a decrease in um, our body stress hormones, the amount that's circulating in our body. So if we think of things like cortisol, or even adrenaline, that flight or flight, um, it also is going to play a role in calming our autonomic nervous system. So that's typically where that flight or flight response would kick in. Um, it's also going to help uh, us, dec- it's going to help decrease even some physical tension. So a lot of us, when we're feeling stressed, we feel um, that we carry sometimes that extra tension in our neck, shoulders and back. So it's going to help with some of that release of the physical tension. And for some of us as well, it also helps serve as a distraction, even if it's for a short period of time. And so collectively, we're going to see a lot of benefits when we are able to get active. um, And it can play a role for some individuals in um, helping to prevent, manage or offset symptoms of depression and anxiety. So help boost moods, help us cope with stress a little bit better and bounce back with a little bit more resiliency. Great stuff. We'll have to leave it there. Dr. Lee Vanderloo and Margaret Eaton, thank you for joining us today. And enjoy this Blue Monday. Thanks so much. That's Dr. Lee Vanderloo, exercise scientist with Participation, and Margaret Eaton, national CEO of the Canadian Mental Health Association. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Today is Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and here to help us uh, give us a, a deeper sense of what this day is all about and how we should be observing a day like today is Randall Maurice Jelks. He's a professor, a documentary producer, an award-winning author, and he also has a new book out, Letters to Martin, Meditations on Democracy in Black America. Good morning, Randall. How are you? Good morning. I'm well this morning. How are you all? I am not too shabby. What does Martin Luther King Day mean to you? Well, Martin Luther King Day uh, means not just the individual, Martin Luther King Jr., but it means all of the women and men who 
uh, fought in the struggle to make the United States and a more inclusive democracy uh, from the very outset of the United States. It was an exclusive republic only to well-off, very wealthy, uh, rich white men. Um, and then in the 1830s, it, it included all men. And then by fighting a civil war, it included black men limitedly. And then Jim Crow laws came along. And then the 1920s included women, again, limitedly. And, and throughout the 1950s and 60s, a full-scale uh, protest uh, to make the United States an inclusive society. So Dr. King would say that the day is not about him. The day is about all the people who struggle to uh, potentially make the United States in a, a more inclusive society. And that's why we should celebrate it uh, that anywhere, because it is always a struggle to keep our governments transparent, and it's always a struggle to keep um, uh, people included in, from, uh, in, the, in the decision-making of their lives. He had so many positive and powerful messages that still resonate today. Is it, is it somewhat sad or maybe disturbing that those messages are still resonating because there are still very real struggles that are happening, not only in America, but here in Canada, around the world? Yeah, well, I mean, democracy is something uh, that we always have to struggle for. And part of my book is to uh, show people and to demonstrate to people this is why we make a, 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 a minimally um, an emotional commitment to democracy or a spiritual commitment to democracy because it has something to be very real that we want to, to protect and to savor and to cherish. Uh, yes, because always... All the time, there are people seeking to undermine a society, seeking to uh, make themselves or aggrandize their group uh, in, in, in ways and exclude others. And that's not how we should live. And that is the charge of the day, is to for us to make a commitment. And to make that commitment, because we are seeing so many threats to democracy around the world. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Randall Maurice Jelks. He's uh, um, American Studies, African Studies, and African American Studies uh, professor at the University of Kansas and has a new book out called Letters to Martin, Meditations on Democracy in Black America. Regarding the book, what led you down this path to write these 12 meditations? Uh, what led me down this path was uh, watching the news, uh, reading, uh, listening to my students. And I went to a small university just outside of Chicago to give a Martin Luther King Day talk just after uh, former President Donald Trump was inaugurated. And the students seemed despondent, and I wanted to write something that would give them hope and to give give them uh, impetus to be engaged. And that, and that message, I thought, well, if I, they found it inspiring, and I said, well, I could write more uh, to all people to, to find uh, hope in our democracy. I, I really, truly do believe in uh, democratic society, and, and I think we, we sometimes uh, uh, down, downplay that, and that's an important thing that we in the West uh, and, uh, have established. This is why people immigrate to our, uh, our, our neck of the woods, uh, because they want uh, the same human rights and protections 
that should be accorded to all. We only have about a minute left. What do you want the main takeaway from your book to be? The main takeaway from my book to be is that hope is not dead, and that uh, we uh, um, can remember that Martin Luther King Jr. was a 26-year-old who got swept up in the tides of history, accepted that, and that we can all participate from our local areas to making our society better. And that is that spiritual, emotional commitment to uh, democratic well-being. Well said, and I couldn't agree more. Mr. Jelks, thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, Congratulations on the book. Good luck with it, and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you so much. Bye-bye now. That is uh, Randall Maurice Jelks, professor of African and African-American studies and American studies at the University of Kansas, author of the new book, Letters to Martin, Meditations on Democracy in Black America. And just a little snippet of what it's all about. These meditations on democracy provide spiritual oxygen to help readers endure the struggles of rebranding, rebuilding, and reforming our democratic institutions so that we can all breathe. I think that's very well said. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Today would have been Betty White's 100th birthday. And if you want to honor her, the animals will thank you. Thank you for being a friend. Betty White was a friend to many, but animals in need held a special place in her heart. And in honor of what would have been her 100th birthday today, the Betty White Challenge started on social media following White's death last month. It encourages people to donate five bucks today to animal rescue organizations in Betty White's name. Elsewhere, the documentary Betty White, A Celebration is playing in theaters nationwide today only. And there's a Golden Girls Marathon on the Hallmark Channel. Jason Athens and ABC News. Hollywood. Well, let's bring in Marion Emo. She is the CEO of uh, Hamilton Burlington SPCA. Marion, how are you today? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm not too bad. Today is a Betty White Challenge Day. Betty White, obviously a huge advocate for animal welfare. What type of response have you seen uh, with this challenge? Well, we're just beginning to see a response. We've, um, you know, we've been talking about it and, and the importance of uh, supporting the animals for a couple of days now. And um, I think we're really looking forward to how people respond today. How can people make a donation? They can go to our one-page donor, uh, one, one-page donor, or excuse me, one single donor page on our, our website, hbspca.com. And like everybody else, um, and they can also follow us on hashtag Betty White Challenge today. And we're looking forward to how people are thinking about the animals. And the other thing that I would add today is sometimes known as Blue Monday, mm-hmm. um, sort of the day when people are just recovering from the holidays and all that we've done to in- indulge friends and family. And sometimes we have a bit of a low. So this is just a fabulous way to pick ourselves up, think of the animals, and remember Betty White. I wish we had more time, but we are plumb out of it. Marion, thanks for the time today. Enjoy your day. I will. And you too. In Thank the you snow. Much. Be safe. <laughs> you too. Marion Emo is the CEO of the Hamilton Burlington SPCA. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Also excited, uh, I would imagine, is the city of Mississauga because so much so they want in on Hamilton's 2030 Commonwealth Games bid. 
What gives? Well, let's ask PJ Mercanti, our next guest here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. PJ is the CEO of Carmen's Group and, of course, a big part of Hamilton's 2030 Commonwealth Games Bit Group. PJ, good morning. How are you? Doing great. Thanks, Rick. So tell us about Mississauga and how that city fits into the plan for 2030. Sure. So a couple of months ago, the Commonwealth Games Committee that I'm a part of, we invited other communities to participate in the in the process, and we wanted to make it a more democratic and transparent process. So we reached out to other communities, educational institutions, and 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 asked them, you know, how would they like to plug into the Commonwealth Games bid? Uh, and we certainly welcome the interest and engagement. And part of the strategy has been uh, as part of the 2026 pivot, and, and we retained it as part of our refocusing on 2030 is to regionalize the bid. You know, we, we've got a lot of great infrastructure in the region. Uh, and in order to keep the capital costs down, it makes a lot of sense to use existing infrastructure. And we also thought that it would make a lot of sense uh, politically uh, to get support from the province if we did engage other communities. So while Hamilton would still be home base for the games, it would still be a very Hamilton-centric um, bid and and you know Hamilton venues would be engaged substantially. We do welcome the interest from other communities, and so far a lot of communities have been reaching out uh, and expressing interest. How many other communities could be involved in hosting the games when all is said and done? So you know while Hamilton would have you know the better part of more than half of the the venues and sports, uh, you know we are looking at engaging Six Nations, four lacrosse. It would be the first time in Commonwealth Games history that that lacrosse would be a medaled event, and to actually host uh, sporting events on Six Nations grounds would be very special. Uh, we're looking at engaging the Niagara region. There's been a lot of support from Niagara, a lot of support from Kitchener-Waterloo, uh, and and Burlington and Milton would also uh, look at being engaged. Obviously, the Milton Velodrome would be would be one potential venue, and and we welcome the GTA and Mississauga being specific, you know, specifically being. A venue. Uh, I know that they uh, they expressed interest in a few sports, uh, and uh, and they've got great infrastructure. And if anything, some of the GTA venues could be great fallback venues in the event that Hamilton didn't submit for a certain sport or another region didn't submit for a certain sport. That they've got a plethora of of infrastructure that could be activated. So we're you know we're engaging at least a good half dozen communities, but Hamilton would still be home base for the games. We have another minute with PJ Mercanti, CEO of Carmen's Group and a big part of Hamilton's 2030 Commonwealth Games bid. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Which sports will definitely be held in Hamilton? So Tim Hortons Field, we're looking at uh, Rugby Sevens, which, which would be, I think, amazing at that wonderful, uh, wonderful facility. The Downtown Arena, uh, the renovation project that, uh, that Carmen's Group is a part of, uh, and the Convention Center would be activated with some sports. Uh, we're looking at a, a new aquatic facility at McMaster University, which would be a wonderful legacy. Uh, you know, Hamilton needs a 50-meter 50, 50 pool, so that would be great. Confederation Park for beach volleyball. And Redeemer University College is looking at a new uh, multi-sport complex that could be activated as part of the game. So that's an example, uh, Rick, of some of the, the ways in which the Hamilton uh, area would be activated. Uh, road cycling in Ancaster uh, as well. Would be uh, would be another support. So so there's great you know great sporting opportunities across the city uh, at venues and and parts of the city you know that would be activated. Uh, and so Hamilton would still get its 
you know, a fair share of, of you know, the, the you know, more meaningful sports, which I'm sure the citizens would appreciate. I can already feel the heightened uh, community spirit. 2030 host cities expected to be named next year. Uh, Hamilton, certainly the front runner uh, for the games. PJ, really appreciate the time. Best of luck with the planning stages and putting all the pieces of this puzzle together. You got it. Thanks, Rick. PJ Mercanti, CEO of Carmen's Group, as Hamilton's 2030 Commonwealth Games bid continues to roll along the line. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode and make sure you rate and review.